0: Hey, it's Steve, and this is Ryan. You're listening to Sixty Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading, fixing, modding, breaking, reviewing, playing, uh, something else podcast.
1: <laughs> oh go. man!
0: Episode 30 brought to you by AleSmith.
1: Big 30. Oh uh, yeah, I'm drinking uh, Speedway Stout from AleSmith over yeah. here. I'm drinking uh,
0: Anvil ESB. Nice. Well, get to the speedway a little later.
1: Yeah, uh, Steve dropped by their tasting room and picked up some bottles and a growler today, so uh, it's a little bit of a party podcast, I yeah. guess.
0: Episode thirty,
1: big thirty, big three zero, right? Yeah, dirty, this, dirty thirty. This podcast is a few episodes away from being as old as me. Wow. Yeah,
0: you're what? thirty now, right? I am
1: thirty. This is it's same age as the podcast. I don't
0: really understand the whole dirty thirty thing. Like, I think I take the same number of showers now than I did when I was twenty nine.
1: Yeah. So. i don't get it so what's new right oh i had a baby well i didn't have the my wife had the baby for you don't want to get on any of those feminist hit lists. i uh i watched my wife have a baby good job uh i helped i've been a helpful helpful dad you like push down helpful husband uh you know i you know rubbed various body parts and whatnot and right did a lot of uh helping to you know get her to the bathroom and things that she needed to do and whatnot. We uh, it's a team effort. It is. And it's I fun. you know, it definitely hurt me a lot less. Yeah. I didn't have any needles sticking to me or anything like that. It was like a thirty hour labor. Right. Well I heard you got to uh sleep in the like
0: neighbor bed on the recovery uh, night.
1: Yeah on the recovery night I got a nice bed. But like when when your wife is in labor or your your baby mama's in labor, they have these like Naugahyde Oh yeah, recliners next to the labor bed. Yeah, and those are awful. Those are like punishment. Like I seriously debated actually just laying on (laughs) the like the hard floor of the delivery room to sleep instead. The one that
0: I had. So we were Ryan and I. Our kids were both born in the same hospital. Uh huh. And uh, that I don't remember the Nagaide chair being that bad, except that it's really like flimsy. I
1: felt like it would tilt over really easily. Mine was pretty solid, but it was like it was built for someone completely different size than me. And I don't know if like a person, the right size, like it would just fit to their back curves, right? but it definitely didn't fit to any curves on my body.
0: Right. Well, that's, um, I, I can see how that would have been an issue. I the what was bad is so Melissa had multiple days recovery. Uh huh. And, um, and so on at least one of them, I went home because there was no, like, Bed next to us, and the little chair that's in there is like it reclines, but it's it's like hard as a rock.
1: They didn't even have a little reclining chair in there. Like I was, we were real lucky that we got to have a second bed in there for the night that we stayed over, because they all they had was like a little, like uh, you know, basically like an office chair. Like it didn't recline or anything. It was just. You sit uh-huh. down, and it has a back on it, and there was a little table. It,
0: it wasn't like the foam kind of thing? No, like they've, all- they've
1: completely redone right. everything over there since since your kid was born. Yeah. I mean, you'll see. You've got another kid on the way. Yep, we'll see. Yep. I spent a lot of time in the cafeteria. I <laughs> <laughs> got to know the, the hospital cafeteria real good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was lucky enough that the, that the kid came uh, right after we had finished recording our last two episodes
0: this was well-timed
1: yeah well-timed so i can get right back on the podcast uh my baby's pretty quiet so far so i don't think we're gonna hear him crying in the background or anything like that uh my sister and my wife are upstairs doing like a photo shoot with him right now (laughs) (laughs) you know like newborn baby photo shoot sort of thing oh my gosh uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Forgot about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't, a... re-
0: I don't remember if we really ever did that. I think we just went ran, ran with the hospital photos. The hospital took photos. No, like because I took my camera. Oh, okay. To yeah. The hospital. Yeah. And uh, so I had all those for our shots, and um,
1: I mean, this kid is very well photographed so far. Sure, like, he's the he's the first uh grandkid on both our family sides so it's like everyone is just snapping thousands of pictures of this kid like he's just the chosen one you know it's (laughs) it's pretty ridiculous right i you know i i emptied my camera the other day and i have like a thousand something photos on there Jeez, yeah it's bad it's real bad (laughs) (laughs) i plugged
0: in so so speaking of camera overload i plugged in melissa's phone into the computer Uh uh-huh 5,000 pictures on her phone oh my God over actually over 5,000
1: much how many how much storage was left on her phone?
0: No she's been under like 500 megabytes left on her phone oh, for months man. So uh, my wife and I both have iPhones and uh, for you guys who are Apple or in the know on Apple, like iPhone is on iOS 7.1.2. So there have been at least three updates since 7. Melissa's still running 7. She can't install any of the updates past 7.
1: Because of all the photos. Because of
0: all the photos. You need at least like 700 megabytes of space. And like literally we have been out on like walks around town or whatever. And she'll be like, can I borrow your camera, (laughs) your phone? My phone is full. I need to delete some stuff. Or like, oh, hold on. I need to delete like 10 photos right now. So, I just have everything set to, like, copy and delete. Uh-huh. And I'm le- she's like, oh, just leave me, like, the last 100 pictures. Yeah. Because I I'm still need to go through those and put those up on, like, Instagram or whatever.
1: I think, well, you guys are running on PCs, right, for your computer?
0: Yeah, so the upload process is awful. Yeah.
1: We're, we're running Macs, and you can do a setup. I'm sure you can figure out a way to do it on PC, too. But we're running Macs, and I have a setup where I basically set up a... Uh, a folder that my wife can drop her favorite photos that right. she wants to keep on her phone in oh, that folder okay. and it will sync her phone and leave those photos gotcha and remove the rest
0: there are certain things that i think you might be able to do with a pc that i can't do because we're running xp okay and i think if i had like a windows 7 machine there's a lot more uh stuff available sure sure anyway
1: <laughs> well should we get into ads then we pretty much covered new stuff
0: yeah yeah, Uh, uh me to go for I got two ads, Yeah, so I guess hit, I'll do my first.
1: Oh. Yeah, you hit one Let first. Let me do this one first. Um, Ryan yeah. sent this to me this morning. I just got that like two hours ago. Yeah,
0: it says, pedals and pedal boards for cheap. $15, Mission Hills. Now, maybe $15 is like the lowest price.
1: I think it's just like a suggested come get yeah. this. It looks like a photo of a garage sale because everything's in grass. Yeah, it's and there's like the actually lawn. a
0: printer on the lawn that's on the lawn. There's a printer... <laughs> There is a drum, um, but it said, the ad says distortion course reverb effects boards. Um, what I can easily make out in this photo is a Digitech. I think it's an RP1000. Uh-huh. Um, That's a multi-effects. Yeah, the Digitech RP5. Uh-huh. Which is the, an old, basically the older version of the, one of the right. various older versions of the RP one thousand. And then
1: there was like some Boss pedals uh, and there's a Hardwire, a D- right? The DS
0: one and a uh, Boss chorus. Okay. So that's the chorus and distortion. I think the Hardwire might be the reverb. Wow. Um. And then there's I looks like there's another pedal in there. There's one pedal I don't recognize at all. I have no clue what it is. You pass it to me. There's a ton of power supplies. It's that uh, black and red one above the RP one thousand. That looks
1: like one of those uh, like tone bone things. But
0: I've no. Do they have those in a single pedal format? I've only seen the tone bones in a double. I'm talking about the radial. Tone yeah, the bone, radial. Right? I've only seen it those could in a be, dual
1: pedal. It could be one of those uh, TC hillion sort of deals, right? You know, it's it's really hard to tell from the photo. There's yeah, only it's the a one photo. photo. Uh, It looks like there's a rubber tin that's got a fender foot switch in it. Yeah. It looks like there's a snare drum or a floor tom somewhere back there. I I, would... I think I see... It looks like there might be... A wah in the corner. Yeah, it it looks like there
0: might be... And if that's a red wah, that might be the slash wah.
1: Or it might be a whammy. No, that's not a whammy. No. It could be the, the slash wah.
0: Um, I would, had I seen this earlier, or had you sent this to me earlier, I may have actually run down there.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: With like a hundred bucks and just been like, I'll give you a hundred bucks for everything. I mean,
1: those hardwire reavers, people love those, the people who get them. Uh, Yeah. And that's a hundred and thirty bucks sitting right there on the grass in someone's yard.
0: Yeah, I would actually be tempted to be like, hey, how much of your stuff do you want to sell for a hundred bucks? And be like, I want And then just see like oh see where that goes
1: yeah totally but the guy said just come and make an offer he didn't include a address yeah yeah. he just said Mission Hills which is like a big neighborhood yeah
0: and actually when I first saw I wasn't even I I went back and it's Central San Diego so I'm assuming this is the like off Washington uh huh Uh, but when I first saw Mission Hills like there's actually two Mission Hills neighborhoods in San Diego yeah there's (laughs) there's like the Mission Hills that we think actually I think there's no, well, there's at least two. There's the one like that's in near in like San Diego proper, uh-huh. and then there's another neighborhood in North County that I believe is called Mission Hills. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Off the seventy six. Oh yeah. Totally. So it's like it's like it could be anywhere. Yeah. Now this isn't posted to Central San Diego, so I'm assuming it's the it's the one in the city. But but this was still. this was
1: this was posted two hours before I saw it. If I had seen it right when it came out. Yeah, I would have done everything I could to contact this person and try to jam down there if I didn't have a newborn baby in the house, which I do, which means I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) When's the the last time you
0: left the house?
1: uh, uh, (laughs) Like two days ago,
0: just to hit the grocery store really quick.
1: When's the last time you hit left the house
0: not to buy groceries?
1: Oh, before the baby came. Oh, well, we we had to do like an emergency room run. Right. And like, oh, yeah. And I we had to do that. like a baby appointment sort sure, of thing. Sure, sure. Uh, but those, those, don't, th- those don't count. Those don't count. You're talking like when was the last time I went and did an activity or went surfing or, exactly? You know, I exactly. Haven't, I haven't since the baby's been yeah. born. It's When's, been like a week and a half. <laughs> Uh, it's just been uh, just holding down the house over here, you know. Right. <laughs> what is this a baby cast? <laughs> but I, yeah, that's I wonder what, how many baby podcasts there are. Probably a ton, but they're probably all done by ladies. Yeah, yeah. There
0: needs to be a man, 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 baby yeah. podcast.
1: A man, baby. <laughs> there probably is something like that, but it's probably has nothing to do with actual babies. Right. Yeah. It's a
0: bunch of grown men who sit around and make
1: and do baby talk to each other. And they wear diapers and stuff, you know. The whole like fetish thing.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's terrible. Why don't you hit that other ad and then we'll All hit right. this other one last
0: Okay, this is a this is also in San Diego. This is a vintage nineteen sixty four Fender Duosonic 2. Uh this is actually kind of an interesting Duosonic two.
1: Did didn't some of the Duosonic twos have different bridges on them? Uh, you know the Duosonic had various different bridges over its incarnation. I'm pretty sure all the Duosonic twos had that style bridge. Though. Okay, so this is the Fender Duosonic two. Um,
0: it says vintage 1964 Fender Duosonic two guitar with original case for sale. Jimi Hendrix used one early in his professional career, as did Kurt spelled with a C. Cobain. Smaller <laughs> diameter necks makes for faster playing. Vintage Fender early 1960s sound. I'm selling this guitar because I own two of them. I remember seeing this ad, and my first thought was, like, why do you own two of them? That's
1: a collecting thing.
0: I guess. Or if,
1: like, you, you're using one as your main kind of guitar for your band, you want to have a backup or whatever. Uh, I have the 90s reissue of a Duosonic, and I just think it's great. I don't play it enough because I don't have a, enough reason to use it because it's a really unique right kind of very specialized kind of instrument
0: well the, the duosonic 2 i think had more in common with the mustang it, uh, yeah it has the mustang switching so that's like series parallel switching uh-huh or is it no sorry it's a phase out of phase switching i think yeah um and then i believe the duosonic twos were all 24 inch scale yeah they have a uh, longer scale so neck, different
1: which is a little bit more playable for most people yeah uh the standard duosonic has a really i think it's 22 inch scale yeah it's really short yeah uh What's nice about these short scale guitars is that you can plop heavier strings on them and they're still like kind of loose so you can still kind of rip it up a little yeah. bit. So you get these spanky single coils in it with these heavy strings and you can kind of just nail like this like the Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of sound or, you know, any other guy who used heavy strings and still get like some really neat speed out of that little neck.
0: Yeah, Fender's been kind of all over the map with uh, their different scale length Uh uh, testing. I feel like Gibson pretty much did uh, the 24 and three quarters inch scale, and that's like everything they have. I'm sure they have something that's a 25 inch or a 25.5 that I'm not thinking of. But Fender, uh, you know, the Strats and Telecasters are all these... uh, are all twenty five point five, and then there they had a mix of like student models and actual models that, uh, like the Mustang, Jaguar. Uh-huh. Uh, Mustang and Jaguar were both twenty four. I think the Jazzmaster is twenty five point five, and then they had the Duosonic, um, and they did the Duosonic in twenty two or twenty two point seven originally, something like that, and. Um, and then you had the Dual Sonic Two, which was like I said before the Mustang. Um, I feel like there are some other weird guitars they've done in like oh, yeah. different they've, short scale. They've done all
1: kinds of different stuff. Um, and I want to say
0: the Squire one is like a the current issued Squire one is like
1: twenty three points longer something. than the one that I have. For so sure.
0: yeah, it's longer, but it's still shorter. It's it's just kind of weird. It's yeah. this weird in between scale. Um, I don't think personally I have enough experience with different scale lengths. Sure. Um, I default to the 25.5 for sure. And uh, oh, I guess the, uh, sorry, I just looked it up. The Squire Classic Vibes, at least, are a 24 inch scale. I thought they did something in a 23. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah.
1: I mean, 24 inch you're still going to feel that that short scale a little bit it's not going to be as crazy as the reissue or the original Sonics, yeah. where it's just like you could go into crazy bins on it and
0: yeah the, the jacks throw Stang, really heavy
1: strings on them and whatnot the Jagstang
0: for me is super playable like yeah. up to about this nine fret first nine frets are super playable once i get above like the 12th fret i everything just runs together for me. Oh, really? Like the frets are too
1: close? Yeah,
0: it's just... I mean, what it just comes down to is I'm not used to playing that high in general. Sure. Because I'm more of a rhythm player. Yeah. Um, And so once I get up there, it just gets... I just get kind of muddled together. It's really great for doing, actually, for doing chords high on the neck. Oh, totally. But for doing lead work, the combination of the twenty-four inch fretboard and then it's the cl- like the old school. It has seven like a, and a half inch radius. Yeah.
1: It also has like that razor fret wire on it, right? Um, like that real thin, like fret wire. No, it's think-
0: not bad. It's it's. Uh, I'm not sure what kind th- of fret wire. Maybe it I'm is. thinking but of something,
1: something else. But uh, I'm thinking of some other guitar.
0: Yeah, but. Um, it's just a di- like you said. It's a different thing. I, I mean, tons of people love it. Obviously, the twenty four inch doesn't hamper a ton of people from playing fast because there's you know a lot of classic uh, surfing and, and sure, you know, sure. different things from the sixties where guys were just playing super fast on these twenty four inch scale guitars. Yeah, on no the jaguars issue. and whatnot. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, what does he want for that thing? Thousand dollars. On Craigslist, he should probably be shooting closer for 750 to $800. Yeah. Uh, they do grab that sometimes on eBay, but you really got to find the right buyer who knows exactly what it is and is willing to pay for exactly that. Yeah. Um, the ones I was seeing on eBay
0: were all... This one is, I believe, is like a unfinished. Like, the paint
1: was removed. Yeah. That's common, it's though. It's
0: kind of left natural. And so I that's why I thought the thousand dollars seemed a little high because I thought the thousand dollar ones I was seeing on eBay were all into pretty much like stock minty mint. Right. Condition.
1: Right. Yeah. And they're um, you know, for what these are, you can get like a sixties fender for relatively cheap. Yeah. Like if you're down with what these guitars are, you can, you can do the vintage thing for like super affordable. You can even buy the parts for these. I was looking at eBay and you can get a, you can get the bodies for these for like 150 to 200. You can pick up a neck around like 200 to 300. And then you can put your own stuff in there if you want to hunt down the original pickups and stuff like that. You can do all that and you can probably get yourself one of these put together around 600 bucks. Sure. Or you could just buy one that's put together. That or that's probably original everything together off of eBay. If you look long enough, for seven fifty to eight hundred, yeah, or a thousand bucks if you see exactly what you want. You know, considering it's a you know an early sixties Fender though, that's great. Yeah, like people, if people are drinking the Kool Aid, that you know a sixties Fender is going to be a thousand times better than anything modern. You can get that for a thousand bucks. It's going to be short scale, and it's going to be not a Strat or a Telecaster. But it's going to be a Fender guitar, and these just don't have the uh, the, the traction for some reason where people are spent, putting Big Bunny into them for whatever reason. But they're totally playable. They're great guitars. This is a
0: semi-aside. This is something I was reading on on another group this sure. week. Um, what's the oldest guitar that you've played like regularly live?
1: oh man i've you know i don't have anything actually vintage okay um
0: there was there the question i saw was talking about basically about playing something like this like a 64 like a 66 fender uh uh-huh the idea is like are should vintage should people be you know using vintage guitars live or should we say like oh this is vintage we don't want to use it live because, it really depends on who, y- rare. who
1: you are and what you're doing i mean if if, right. if you're a big touring act and you have the ability to lock your stuff up in very protective cases and you know where in the bus it's going to be and stuff like that why wouldn't you play the guitar that you prefer sure even if it is worth you know thirty thousand dollars and there's only two of them left or whatever right like that's the guitar you want to be seen playing you're obviously playing at a certain level. Why wouldn't you? If you're some working class guy with a hobby band and you happen to have, you know, like a a guitar that's worth like $15,000 or something like that, you should probably not hit the road with that. Because sure. you're probably touring in a station wagon or van. <laughs> uh it's you're putting an amp might get put on top of it or something like that yeah you're probably playing somewhere where you know beer is getting spilled all over the place right right (laughs) like you don't want to risk that sort of thing i mean it's it's at the end of the day it's up to you it's your investment it's your risk you decide what is worth it to you uh if i had one of these duosonics an original one i probably wouldn't i probably would be fine playing it live but i'd like I'd be nervous the whole night if it was le- I I left it in the bar or in the car or something like that. Right. I'd be like someone's going to see that and try to steal it sort of thing.
0: Or someone's going to be like what's the what's the deal with that tiny guitar? Yeah, Ugh. what's with that little guitar? That's stupid.
1: I mean, oldest guitar that I've played live I'd bet that big red was made in the 80s. Sure. I have a feeling that's it for me. But that thing's a piece. It is a piece. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it was a great guitar because I built it to be very specific yeah. to what we were doing at the time yeah. uh, but but that's like I, I haven't played it since that project right. I stopped. think
0: that thing is a so big red is a
1: I want to say it was British yeah it's a British company I, a, I forgot the name of the company I found like yeah. another one of them at some point. But the 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 name was rubbed off the headstock of the yeah, one. It was like ion.
0: Encore Eagle or something like that. Something I think. like that, or but like it,
1: Maverick or yeah, something weird like that. You know, but it was
0: a British copy of a Fender Lead. Yeah fender lead or lead two or whatever which was like
1: a late 70s to 80s fender yeah, concept
0: like, yeah it was like uh i want to say it was like dan smith era they those things
1: used to sell real cheap too Made yeah in the usa leads those are great guitars and true. the prices on those yeah. are starting to climb yeah really great necks on those really interesting bodies and pickups yeah but i have a you know basically a, a copy of the body shape with a uh a not that great neck on it, right?
0: Right, <laughs> all right.
1: Well, speaking of interesting things,
0: hit that last ad. Okay,
1: this is an ad sent to us by Ben Borman, uh, Borman <laughs> Ben Borman, uh, 60 cycle hum, mangling our fans' names since episode one. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> okay. So, I took a bunch of notes on this. It's a – the ad claims – This is the most research Ryan and I have probably done for any ad ever. And I I didn't even get into researching the price. This is – it claims that it's for a 53 Les Paul Gold Top Gibson, $8,000 in the Central Valley. Uh, I'm going to read the notes that uh, Ben Borman wrote. Uh, Too rich for Craigslist obviously for $8,000 if that's even a legit price for it yeah uh you need to take that at
0: least especially in modesto yeah
1: you need to take that to auction somewhere yeah
0: i could see $8,000 i can actually see this for $8,000 in san diego i think in san diego you could maybe in in a big enough city or like yeah san diego los angeles like san francisco sure maybe like major
1: metropolises yeah
0: or like big big music towns like Like san San diego la nashville austin portland seattle sure um, New York, yeah. Anywhere else? Maybe Chicago. Maybe anywhere else? You're gonna. I feel like you're gonna have trouble. I think your this.
1: your best play with this is to send it to an appraiser and then send it to auction house and just take a hit on commission or whatever. Sure, sure. Uh, but here, other notes: uh, vintage and rare, possibly improperly named, listed, heavy player condition. Uh, so those are notes that Ben wrote on it. Right off the bat, looking at it, uh, like he said, improperly named listed, it's not a gold top. No. It's some kind of, like, a uh, maple flame sort of deal, which is not conducive to 1953. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, you know, there is, you know, they would well, take that's... those gold tops, and they would strip the paint off and find that some of them had really attractive wood underneath, but it didn't look like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Uh, number two, it's got three humbuckers in it. The humbuckers didn't come around for Les Pauls until 57-ish, right?
0: Yeah, I think the first Les Paul, like the first PAF models were in 1957. Yeah. Hence the classic 57 humbucker from Gibson.
1: Yeah, the, the the 53 gold tops had P90s in them. Yep. And, you you know, the, the pickup rings on these humbuckers definitely would not have covered up the hole those would have left. No also, the 53s didn't have a tunematic bridge on them or stop tail piece. They had this really terrible trapeze. Right. And they had this awful angle on the neck where basically, if you look up information on the 52 and 53 Les Pauls, which were the original run, uh, people basically say that they're unplayable. Be- right. Because the neck is so funky. The angle of it, uh, the way that it connects to the body is so funky. And then you have this really awful trapeze bridge where the strings actually wrap underneath it. So you right. can't even mute the strings if you wanted to mute them with your palm. Uh, and if you bumped this thing at all, like the bridge, the whole thing would go out of tune. Nice. And the strings were super close to the body because of the angle of the neck. And the whole thing was just kind of a disaster. But you know, they, they fetch a lot of money just because of them being original Les Pauls, yeah, I,
0: and and even then, like they don't fetch. It's really interesting, and you don't. I don't. I feel like I'm sure there's other instances of this, but I can't think of any offhand. Where like, a for a Stratocaster, like 1954, yeah, is like the is like the peak year, and there's other peak years, 57. 62 like different things that happened uh-huh. that are like considered hallmark years for Fender but pretty much the older a uh, Fender guitar you have the more it's going to be worth Sure. And with the with Gibson
1: it took them a while.
0: Uh the 57 to 59 Les Pauls are the ones that that the- fetch the highest. I've seen uh this was a few years ago Ryan and I went to Uh, The whatever that guitar expo is called that they have at the Del Mar Uh Fairgrounds every year.
1: That was forever ago.
0: Yeah, this was like... I
1: don't think they do that anymore. That's a bummer. Yeah, who knows?
0: Uh, But we went there and um, the the guy there, one of the guys there had a 57 or 58 Les Paul and he was asking $250,000 for it. Sheesh. He wasn't going to get it. There were some issues with it that... Right. I, I mean, I didn't know a ton about Les Pauls at the time. Still don't know a ton about them, (laughs) Um, but I could. There were things that stood out to me of like these are not. This is not stock. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, maybe one hundred twenty-five thousand. But (laughs) sure.
1: But (laughs) oh, this has a 62 bridge in it. This, yeah, you gotta knock, yeah, you gotta knock 75,000 off of this. The Les
0: Paul peaked at like with the 1957 (laughs) model. So even now, like in 1957, I don't know what they're going for because the market's been kind of crazy. Right. But say in 1957 sells for like a hundred grand, a 1955 is only gonna sell for like 20 grand. Oh, yeah, totally. Like there's a huge drop off between the original gold top models and those first, that first series of PAF. A humbucker characters. It's because no,
1: no one famous really played the first run because well, they couldn't. True. That's true. They were pretty unplayable. It was just a really bad design. Uh, well, Les Paul played them. Yeah,
0: but he kind of. They were
1: his signature model. Yeah, but Ryan. he kind of had his own quirky things that he did to all of his. That's true. So it's. it's you can't. Like, even Les Paul didn't play full on just off the shelf Les Pauls. Sure. He's always been a tinkerer and doing all sorts of different yeah. things as far as pickups and bridges and switching options go. Um what are my other notes on this? Uh I have 58 to 60 they were doing the sunburst finish which, you know, might be what this originated as and maybe it was stripped or something. Uh, but I actually did a serial number check on it on the guitardaterproject.com. I don't know how accurate that is right. Uh, it's just whatever I found through a Google search for serial check for Les Pauls. It came back saying that it is approximately in 1961, which is interesting because 1961 is the year that Gibson stopped making Les Pauls. Yeah. So maybe it was like the, you know, the one of the few to make it out of the factory before they stopped doing that. One of the last ones, and then they started production again. Sixty three.
0: No. Sixty four. Give me like 15 seconds. Because they they stopped making the Les
1: Paul and then they started making SGs, but they were branding the the SGs for three years As, years, as Les Pauls. As Les
0: Pauls. I think it was longer. I want to say it was like 60. Yeah. Okay. So the original run was from 1952 to 1960. This is from Wikipedia. Uh, the Gibson Les Paul in the SG form uh-huh. was 1961 to 1963, and those were all short-lived because Les Paul hated them. Yeah, and he set told Gibson like, "Take my name off of this. I don't want to be associated with it." And then the uh, Les Paul did not return until 1968.
1: Really? And that long? A huh? lot of
0: people say think that it was basically riding on the backs of the, the Yardbirds and Cream. Sure with uh eric clapton and uh jimmy or yeah eric clapton and jimmy page being uh-huh. like big les paul guys uh in the 60s that ge- they were getting enough traction from those those types of artists uh to bring them back
1: so it is possible that this could be you know a guitar made in 1960 yeah that just when it left the factory it got a 61 stamp or whatever sure as they were moving it out, uh, but you know another thing about it is it's got three humbuckers. Yeah, I was trying to find information when they first did three humbuckers. Not that that's really relevant because that became a thing to do in the seventies, and someone could have done that aftermarket. Right. There's things on this that that stick out as aftermarket to me. Like there's certain pictures of the the back of the headstock where the tuners look definitely aftermarket. They look like a modern go. There's something
0: weird. Now, are there? Does this have body binding on it? Can you? It tell does it? have
1: binding. Okay. Um, but it's like a it's like a honey burst kind of color. It's not even a burst. Like, what do you call that?
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's almost. I just.
1: It's not a color that is conducive to anything before the seventies, really. I don't think, unless yeah. someone did a full refinish well, on it.
0: They might have. They're. It's probably... I think they would have called it like Honey Burst.
1: Right. But
0: I don't know when they would have done the, those paint issues. Now, the 57 Les Paul Custom... Oh, that's the reissue, though.
1: As far as I'm aware, before hmm. before they brought the Les Paul back, there was Gold Tops, there was Sunburst, and then there was Black for yeah, the Black Those are Beauty. the only
0: ones that I'm familiar with. Um, so... I, I mean, don't think they were doing
1: like cherry burst or anything back then. Yeah. I've, I've never seen them. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could be super wrong. We're not big Les Paul people. Yeah. Uh, there, I, you I, you know, there's we,
0: a site that. Um,
1: I'm always like, why not a more Paul? We're always oh, talking God. about these Les Pauls. When are we going to get That's more
0: Pauls? <laughs> there's a great site uh, that I reference every once in a while when people have SG questions. There's a site called everythingsg.com. Uh-huh. I don't know if there's a Les Paul equivalent to it, but everythingsg.com catalogs like literally everything SG. Like every right. Gibson Les Paul or, or stupid. Uh, every Gibson SG model that I think has ever been made uh-huh. is documented on that site, or at least, you know, a huge number of them were. Um, so that's all on there. Um, but the. uh. Yeah, I don't know. There's just so many things that are weird about this. Now, eight thousand dollars, like if it's if this is a nineteen sixty, then eight thousand dollars I think is a good is actually a really good price on it.
1: For the price that they're asking, if I was interested in this at all, I would be like, Hey, meet me at this guitar shop. We're gonna have someone look this yeah, over and appraise it. For sure. And figure out what's actually going on here. Cause this is there's too many funky things going on. Here, there's a lot of wear on this guitar. Yeah, there, there's various like mystery holes and and pictures of the guitar. Uh, you know, things look aftermarket. the The middle humbucker is suspect. Like, when did this come from? So it's it really deserves an yeah. expert looking it over. They're
0: definitely old. Like the there's something I don't know exactly what it is, but I looked at the pictures, the zoomed in pictures. Uh huh or rather the close-up shots, they're definitely really old humbuckers. Yeah. Now, I don't know if they're like 50s old because I want to say the 1970s pickups still kind of looked
1: like that, so they might have been something from that era. Sure. Um, but, you know, you could always, if you've got a guitar, you can always drop old humbuckers into it. Yeah. So, you know, if this person got... If this legitimately is a late 50s to 60s Les Paul and the person had it in the 70s and like, oh, I want to be like Paul Stanley and have right. a middle humbucker, they might have had someone, you know, track down an, an original 60s or 50s humbucker and slap it in there for him.
0: Is there a picture of the headstock on there at all? Uh, yeah, there are. Know? There's a couple pictures there of the headstock. Is there a headstock inlay?
1: um no well it's it's the gold printed logo i'm pretty sure and right. then and then the printed les paul like it doesn't it, it doesn't, doesn't have like the diamond no no okay, so
0: that so because all the les paul customs as far as i know have that right uh that like fancy headstock inlay but yeah i have no idea this would have had to have been a three pickup standard model of some sort I it's don't know. funky it is yeah. funky
1: Thanks Ben Borman. Yeah, but it's definitely not a 1953. No. We can say that with a lot of certainty uh you know, it would have because of the neck angle on those, it would have been impossible to mount a tunomatic to them. Yeah. So it's not even right. like, oh, someone could have done this, they didn't. They, <laughs> right. It wouldn't have worked. Yes, the the would need to be so much lower than a tunomatic is capable of. Sure. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to a, a topic then. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is based on some like some web chatter we had on the group. Yeah, someone uh, asked
0: about um, what the best... So, um, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't remember who it was. But somebody bought an uh, EP booster. Uh-huh. Uh, is it called the EP booster? Because maybe it's the EP booster, and
1: I've been saying it. I know, around. right? Who knows? <sighs> I mean, you read this stuff, and you think you know how it's going to be pronounced. You think you know. But, you know, you never know. Like, we, someone tried to connect, correct our pronunciation of things a while back on the group. Oh, uh, tre-
0: Tremolo versus Tremolo?
1: Yeah. That- and I found, like, this site that has a robot reading pronunciations of oh, things. So I was gosh. like, oh, here's how they're supposed to be. This is how and, a robot would say Tremolo. Yeah, Tremolo. Tremolo. <laughs> tremolo. Um, <laughs> so but anyway. Like, I don't know.
0: Um, the Whoever it was, uh, they bought this thing. And... uh they said like they got a, they got like fifty dollars off on it at Guitar Center for reasons that I don't really remember. Yeah, yeah. This um, is
1: this is two or three weeks ago. Yeah, I think. but
0: the question was basically, what's the best deal that you've gotten either on Craigslist? Like, what's your best haggle? Yeah, yeah. Uh, not just best deal because I've gotten some really great deals, but when it comes to Craigslist, I actually don't haggle a ton
1: sure well if you do you do it in the email
0: yeah one well one yeah I, I do it up front i i hate haggling in person uh-huh i hate when a guy comes and is like oh uh i hate when a guy tries to lowball. if if i'm trying to sell something for 300 and he and he shows up and says like oh well you, oh there's this this like picks out flaws and has a reason to say like Right, you're asking three hundred. I'll give you two fifty because of this, this, and this.
1: Right, if there's stuff that you that wasn't clear on the ad, yeah, like oh, I didn't see this detail, or like
0: oh, maybe this was a, this is a little worse than I thought it was. Sure, was based on the ad, I'm okay with that. I hate the guy who um uh shows up and tries to haggle on like a guitar pedal that you've got for fifty bucks, and they show up and they're like, will you take thirty? yeah no dude. like this is a fifty dollar pedal. This is the best price you're gonna get i already yeah, know totally getting, i mean these go
1: these go for eighty on eBay yeah. you know <laughs> so
0: so at the same time, like I try to do all my haggling up front either sure. over the phone if I do phone, which isn't that often or an email um the best deal I've gotten on anything and i we may have- i may have talked about this before it's my probably my strat oh uh-huh. well no my, the best deal I had is that free p v but,
1: uh, <laughs> I mean, you've gotten some killer deals too.
0: But, uh, that strat at, uh, I, my Japanese strat cost me a hundred bucks. Uh huh. Um, that's, that's a great price. Definitely, though. I think I would still call that the best, uh, Craigslist deal I've made. Sure. Um, do you have any good haggle
1: stories? Uh, well, I said on that, on that, uh, that original thread on the group. Uh, that when I got my Duosonic, which we were just talking about, it was on the wall of a pawn shop. This was before there was Craigslist back in the day. And I had seen it about a week earlier, and I was like, oh, that looks really interesting. I I wonder what that is, because I was still really young. I think I was like 18, 19, something like that. And so I went home, and I did some research and figured out what it was and figured out kind of what the MSRP was on them. Uh, new in in the stores when they were available because this must have been like 99 2000 something like that uh maybe 2001 ish I don't know but anyways I went back there and I asked to try it out and I think it was listed for 175 that was the price tag on it and uh or maybe 150. My my memory's foggy here. I think it was on the wall for 150. And I went in. I plugged it into whatever amp they had. And I was like, great. The volume knob on it is dead. Like, it doesn't work <laughs> at all. And so I, I call the sales guy over. I'm like, hey, the volume knob is, is dead on this. Will you take 75? And the guy, like, fiddled with it. And he's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take seventy-five, and that was just Dang. For, just because the volume knob didn't work. Right. I took that guitar home for seventy-five bucks. I had it open. uh Twenty minutes later, I had the the volume knob resoldered, and it closed up and playing it again perfectly. Right. Was it just like a bad joint? Yeah, it was just a bad. Like the the connection had fallen off or something oh, like okay. that. And so that was. I always think of that as like my really solid haggle. Right, like it's not that huge of a savings. It's, I didn't get a free PV. I didn't get a a, a one hundred dollar in my J Strat, but I cut the price of a guitar in half because there was something wrong with it that I knew I could fix.
0: Yeah, I wonder how many shops. So this is John uh, John Argetta asked about this like the epiphone hate and for i think for ryan and i both it's more about the aesthetics of the headstock on the les paul than anything um but for for me one of my first experiences with the gibson les paul was picking one up in a shop and or rather with the epiphone les paul um just picking one up in a shop plugging it in and the neck pickup didn't work because the switch was already dead
1: oh yeah like
0: in the shop the switch was already busted
1: was it new in the shop yeah like guitar center
0: uh this was a guitar shop down in chula vista oh okay so it could have been there for a long time sure sure um but still it not monopo- long enough to
1: break the switch you wouldn't think so yeah
0: um so and i turned like i turned all the knobs up It just the switch didn't in the neck position there was no sound
1: huh that sucks um
0: so that was from that's been part of my negative mindset with Epiphone 2. Um, I mean, there's I, a I lot of
1: Epiphones it. on the market these days that are better than the cheaper Gibbs. Like, there's a lot of high end Epiphones that are more expensive than the cheapest Gibsons that are better than the cheapest Gibsons. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Well, you know, Epiphone. Like seven or eight years ago, was doing the Elitist series. Uh-huh. And those are coming out of Japan, and those were supposed to be super good. Yeah, really good. Um, but now there are definitely, um, when Gibson first rolled out the Les Paul and SG Faded models, uh huh. Some of those they sounded great. Yeah. But the QC on them was horrible. Sure. I remember picking up one of the SG faded and
1: just like QC being quality control. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh I picked up one of the sG fadeds uh-huh. and it had like squire bullet frets on it yeah. like that bad yeah um
1: I've definitely I definitely picked a- up some Gibsons that had really bad fret work on them
0: yeah it, and it's it's weird and so they're definitely I had for a, a very short time uh because it was a flip project a few years ago I had an epiphone g400 uh-huh. is their sG model like their uh not their highest end because there is a G there's a G400 deluxe right but it's basically like their flagship SG um and that thing played great yeah totally I just you know I didn't want an SG well I bought like I said I bought it to flip um so that it, I mean it moved along but sure I mean, it played great. I couldn't get over the headstock. <laughs> uh, There's just
1: something about that headstock that bugs us yeah. so much, like the one that's got the little book scroll and then it's got those cuts on the side.
0: If and I realize like they're trying to pay homage, maybe to like the 1960s, like Epiphone, that when Epiphone was still its own brand uh-huh. before Gibson like took them over. Um, but if Epiphone. St- was c- consistently using for the bulk of their models a Gibson like the Gibson headstock or something at least Well on the
1: like a hollow body them. on the hollow body epiphones they do that giant book scroll Right I love that Yeah I love that headstock It works Yeah it's it's way more exaggerated than the Gibson one but I think it's really classy and clean
0: Yeah I would just I, I mean I just don't know what it is the only I have the only Les Pauls I've ever at least semi-pursued is when Epiphone first started making Les Pauls in like 1988, 1989. Uh uh-huh. They were doing the Gibson headstock, right? And that's the only one I'm interested in because I just can't get into yeah. the newer, the other, the current headstock. It shape. kind of
1: makes us seem really vain.
0: It does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's something and it's one of those things where one, when I pick one up and I play one, I never think like, "Oh, this is terrible." No. But when I look at them, I'm just like, I just I don't know. I don't yeah. know what it is, but I just don't want to deal with it.
1: Yeah. Um, it's like if it was in a bizarre color that you hated or something like exactly. that. It's like the headstock is a color that we just can't get past. Yeah.
0: Um, so on the thread, I talked I mentioned that uh I actually kind of Haggled myself out of a good deal.
1: Uh huh.
0: Um, so, and I said I would share that on the podcast because I didn't want to write it out. But this was, um, maybe 10 years ago. Nah, yeah, close to 10 years ago. I was living at home still. So I was, uh, probably in college. So eight, 10 years ago. Uh, a guy on Craigslist listed a Honer Professional 2 short scale bass. Uh huh. Had a bunch of stickers on it and a, uh, I want to say it was a 1988 MIJ Fender Stratocaster. I think he wanted like 50 bucks each. Wow. And 50 bucks yeah, I think 50 bucks each. And at the time I had already sold my Hot Rod Deluxe. I had a Vox Valvetronics VT50 uh-huh. or 80, yeah, 80 8050 VT which is their Valvetron like I said their Valvetronics line. And I emailed him That thing was probably worth about two hundred fifty bucks, two hundred two fifty, somewhere in that range. I emailed him and said, uh, "I will trade you this amp for the the guitar and the bass."
1: Oh, okay.
0: Knowing that it was worth way more than he was offering, but I wanted to like lock in the deal.
1: Right, right. Now I don't know. You should have just gone over there with fifty bucks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I uh I should have just backed out. Um Yeah. But I don't, you know, like I don't like we talked about earlier with dealing with Craigslist. I I don't want to be that guy. If I make a deal, if I say I'm going to do something on email like I'm going to do it in person, sure, I'm going to sure. that unfortunately. Um And uh the uh the guy, I got to the guy's place. It was this RV park in like Santee. Uh-huh. And it was super run down. Well, it wasn't even run down. The guy was just like A music hoarder Gotcha Okay so last week We talked about Adam Uh huh Imagine if Adam was single And living in a mobile home In Santee And like 50 years old (laughs) And still singing And just been like Acquiring cheap gear Right If he had
1: never been married And had a wife Who would help him Even this stuff out You know That's
0: kind of what Was going on here This guy had like A bunch of keyboards Laying around He had a PV stereo chorus Uh huh Um, He had uh, These guitars And just a bunch of just this place was just full of music, but it was just trashed. Uh huh. And you had to like, I remember like having to step over stuff to like check out the guitar and everything. But I made the trade. I still made like a huge profit off of it. I think I sold that guitar for like 360 bucks. Wow. Um, and then I traded that was
1: that black MJ you had for a while, right?
0: Uh, no, it was a a white one. It was white?
1: Okay, I'm, rem- I'm remembering it like, things wrong. It was
0: like the that Olympic. Oh or yeah, whatever. yeah. Now
1: I remember it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Did I have a black one for a while? No,
1: I'm I'm tripping.
0: Okay, I was like, wait, did I sell a guitar yeah. that I don't remember? I
1: just remembered it being the opposite color of what it was.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, it was a, a it was white, like an Olympic white, white or MGA. something like that. Yeah. yeah. And I sold that actually to a guy not too far from here in Mira Mesa uh-huh. uh, for like three sixty, and I took the honer and I the guy who was our guitar tech at the time. Oh yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, tr- I tr- basically gave him the honer. I originally, I, I took it and sanded it. I stripped it and sanded it down, but in the process of like sanding down the neck, I destroyed the binding <laughs> uh, because I would use chemical peeler and it, the oh, binding was plastic. Shoot, Yeah. So, so it so just melted. melted that stuff. Uh, but i gave him all of the parts in exchange for, I think, assembling the telecaster. Nice. Um, and, uh, and so yeah, definitely, I definitely still got a great deal. Yeah, I got my
1: money's worth out of it.
0: But, but I you could have,
1: have gotten, walked, you could have walked in with fifty bucks and gotten all that stuff. Yeah,
0: instead of instead of doing like a hundred dollar flip, I could have done like a two hundred dollar flip. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I told my dad about it, I'm like I got this great deal. He's like, he's like, yeah, but you didn't get as good of a deal as you would have gotten if you would have just bought it with fifty bucks. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but... I mean,
1: if you wanted to lock it in, you could have offered him 55 bucks and you would have been there.
0: Yeah, it was just such a good deal that I thought, like, this guy's got to be getting bombarded. Like,
1: I got sure. to just, like, drop the bomb. Yeah. It probably helped that he was a music hoarder. Yeah. And he was like, oh, well, I'm selling two and getting one. That works out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, right. definitely, I'm, I'm slimming down. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but that guitar I actually took, and it had some crazy wiring scheme on it. Uh-huh. And I took it back to stock... But that's the first guitar I ever did the bridge uh bridge tone mod on. Uh huh. And that's actually it's the only guitar I've done it on, but that was a really cool mod.
1: Well let us uh, talk about let's talk about doing our own wiring for a bit. Because yeah. people were asking about that. Uh like I said, I I did the fix on the Duosonic when I got it. You're talking about modding uh the strat back to stock and yeah. stuff like that. People have been asking uh us to talk about this subject, it is super worth it to figure out how to do this stuff. Yeah. It is super simple. Uh, You're going to make mistakes. You're going to burn your fingers, but all the mistakes are correctable after you make them. If well, you can not not all of them. The vast majority of them. If you yeah. try, if you try to repot your pickups, you might screw them up.
0: I've never tried it. I've, yeah, I'm afraid. I'm not going
1: to. I'm not going to.
0: I've uh, had some pickups. I'm like, this yeah. pickup probably needs to be potted, but I won't do yeah. it.
1: But as far as opening up your 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 normal guitar and you know soldering in a new pickup or soldering in a new switch or a new pot. Or new output jack or anything like that. You don't need to pay people to do that stuff unless it's got some sort of crazy circuit board in there, which most guitars don't. Right, and you can figure it out really quickly just by opening it up and seeing what's in there. If it's just a wire going from component to component, you can do this stuff. I swear to you. (laughs) Uh, One
0: one of the so the two things I would say like outright. If you're going to do this, um, well, actually, there's more than two things. One, soldering iron. I use a cheap Shack pencil. I hate it. Uh-huh. Um,
1: I used to use the cheapest ones, and then when my last one, like, bit the dust, I decided I'm going to upgrade a little bit. And instead of getting the $7 one, I got the $15 ooh. one. It's made a world of difference because it gets, it gets just a hotter. It gets a little bit hotter, yeah. and so I don't have to wait so long in between soldering connections. Well, when
0: it gets hotter, like, it's just there's... it's just easier because the because pots are such a big component and you do a lot of pot soldering Uh it doesn't get hard enough it's hard to do that and what i find a lot of times is that the stock the solder that the fender factory uses or whatever factory uses uh is harder to melt than like the solder you buy at a store sure um but i would say like the things so there 's obviously like things that you think like obviously if i 'm going to get into electronics this is, these are things I need to get, like a soldering iron and solder uh-huh. um, i I think uh, Tayak recommended to me a few years ago the uh, hako it 's like eighty seventy or eighty bucks the Hako soldering iron i 've been wanting to buy one of those for a while i just haven 't done it um, the thing that I would say hunt down the two things that most people probably don 't think about. That I would say are worth hunting down. Are um, one is just a spool of spare wire, like twenty-two mm-hmm. or twenty-four gauge wire, sure. is what I have typically used. It's a little heavier. You could probably get away with like twenty-eight if you're if that's what you want to use. Um, and these are things I've used for like pedal building. The other thing is sh- uh, heat shrink wrap.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Uh,
0: heat shrink wrap is one of those things where it's like. You don't realize you need heat, heat shrink wrap until you have like a pickup wire that somehow broke in the middle of the wire so you have to strip it down to like three inches. Yeah. And then you take your extra spool of wire and your heat shrink and you just tie it all together. Heat yeah. shrink that sucker together. I mean, I fudge, to go.
1: I fudge that stuff with electrical tape a lot of the time. Yeah, I've done that too. But, you know, if your guitar gets hot and then the glue melts out of that and can make a mess and whatnot, the heat shrink is is pretty easy to work with and it doesn't make a mess yeah so uh that's worth doing it's really cheap you don't have to spend a lot of money on that uh if you want to get crazy you can get a multimeter to measure what you're doing but you don't need it need it to- i would say you know honestly for me
0: the biggest advantage of of having a multi multimeter or volto meter uh-huh um is just for conductivity checking sure um it's nice to be able to measure things and know and kind of follow like how different components are affecting things. And sometimes that's necessary, but if you're wiring up a Jack and you're trying to figure out like you've got a Jack and a switch and you're trying to figure out why aren't my pickups like producing sound, Uh you can use the conductivity test on a meter or just use the meter hooking up to different points. Uh, And if it's showing like zero resistance, then um, that just means that your 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 conductivity is good, so it's something else. If you're getting like infinite resistance, which means there's no connection, right? Um, then that's bad. Yeah, that means you, you're you have a bad joint somewhere. Or it makes your troubleshooting easier. Yeah, it's definitely good
1: for troubleshooting. And those aren't expensive. You can get a, a pretty decent multimeter under twenty bucks, probably. Yeah. So yeah. you know, startup costs on this, if you want to you know work on your own guitar get a soldering iron, 15 bucks. You get a little pack of solder for a couple bucks. You get some wire and some shrink wrap, uh, shrink, uh, what is it called? The shrink heat shrink. Yeah. And you're probably just above 20 bucks on this stuff. Yeah. And you're saving yourself so much money by not going to a tech. like out the door, you're saving yourself so much money. You're going to, the first time you do this stuff, you're going to blow a couple hours just trying to figure out what you're doing. Right. And fixing the things you did wrong. But then you start to just get it, you know, like even, you know, even now if I'm wiring up a full pick guard, it takes me a couple of tries just because I'm super sloppy and fast with everything <laughs> and I don't think stuff through. But, you know, it's really not that much time. The amount of money you save and the amount of pride you get in, in your instrument is just immeasurable, you know? Yeah. It's great. Um, Especially for stuff like switches and output jacks. For sure. That stuff is no brainer. There's, you know, for... For single coils, there's only two wires coming out of there. One of the gr- one is a ground, which is super obvious because it's going to be like a bare silver wire coming out of the end usually, and the other is going to be the lead. Well, it depends on the pickup models.
0: Yeah, because fenders are all black and white or black or yellow yeah, 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 or black and yellow.
1: But you know, it's pretty easy to figure out which is which yeah. just by you know tapping the connections on things or seeing how it was already connected. Uh, the ground is going to go to like the external connections on the pots and oh, on the switches and on the uh, on the output jack. And a lot of times when you're doing like replacement work, take a pi- yeah, take pictures. Know,
0: when I first started doing this kind of work, it was like taking pictures was kind of like oh, I gotta get the digital camera. Right. Everyone's got a phone camera. Yeah. Now, now. everything's on a phone. There, there's no hooking up. You just take a picture on your phone. You've got it. Yeah. Uh, and that way, if you need to like reverse engineer something, you, you just do it. Uh, Seymour Duncan has a oh, ton yeah. of wiring diagrams.
1: I've used them a ton. There's a ton of resources, um, and it's like for any possible combination you could think of. Like, oh, you've got you know a Telecaster pickup plus a hot rail plus a regular humbucker. They're going to have a thing for that, you know.
0: Uh,
1: They're going to they have a lot of combinations. They've
0: got some weird combinations. I've had to take some of them. I've had to actually take and and kind of like deconstruct what they've sure, got sure. to do what i need to do or like i've printed out like the strat one and the les paul one and like <laughs> overlaid them and been like okay i'm going to use like these things from the strat one and this part from the les paul one yeah i think this will work but but, but that's kind of the enjoyment for me is sure. like is going a little mad scientist on it totally um and uh i mean that's where i got the original idea with my yamaha Uh uh-huh the base was like i looked at i'm like okay there's four pots on i can put four pots on this thing what else has four pots oh les paul i'll just wire this up like a les paul like just a switchless les paul Uh it's blend all the time like i said there's the issue with the tone knobs but whatever like it doesn't matter um it works great and that's something that i don't know if other bases have that configuration they probably do there's some that probably but But I came up with that just because I was like, "What else has humbuckers and four knobs?" Yeah. What can? How can I convert this active circuit to a passive circuit? Totally. Um, so yeah, there's just uh, there's just a ton of things you can do. You can get into pedal building. I've done a, a little bit of pedal mods and pedal building. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, Ryan and I have talked about doing a CC Cycle Hum contest, and if we do mm. that, like it's gonna be a, it's gonna be like a BYOC build yeah. or a GGG build. We're thinking like, that.
1: like you'll put the pedal together and I'll do the art on it, yeah, something like that. That'll be cool. We're gonna, we're trying to figure out a way to work a contest angle to uh, drive up some listenership. And get uh more people listen yeah, to the you show. Tell,
0: tell your mom and tell your dad.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> so but, but more news on that as we work on it, sort yeah, of thing.
0: Yeah, it's uh that's something I look forward to in the future. Um but yeah, just there are some I know there are people out there that um just they all they do is they play. Yeah. They don't they barely have a string preference. Sure. Um, but I think that's always been something that, that I've had trouble fathoming. We actually had a worship leader a long time ago. Did you ever play with JD? Uh,
1: I think once or twice. So
0: we had this worship leader. He had this sweet, like old, like original issue V acoustic. Uh-huh. I say original issue like this was before I think before when Larrivee was more of a custom shop, right? Um, and uh, less of like something you could just walk into a store and buy one. And I asked him because I I was interested as a gearhead and also like thinking about my own acoustic like oh what kind of electronics do you have in there? And his response was like oh I don't know man I just play my tech k- takes care of all that stuff. <laughs> and as a younger person, uh, that's something like I just have trouble fathoming. Yeah, totally. Because when I get a guitar, like I want to know how it works. Like it bothers me that the the four position jacks thing or mustang switches are like the four conduct it's a uh i don't remember exactly what the switch design is it's a three position but it's got like four con- conductors on it yeah like those switches are really hard to find yeah totally um and it bothers me and actually like i didn't rewire my jacksing when i had the humbucker installed because that's like the wiring on it is nuts uh-huh. with with all that oh i bet um, I think if I sat down and I could figure it out now, but at the time uh, yeah. I was like, when I think I, swapped, I was like 18 and I had no idea.
1: When I swapped pickups on that uh, Jaguar, I had those things are crazy inside. I believe it. It looks like a NASA control panel under there, <laughs> like like a 60s NASA control panel right. with just wires point to point everywhere. Right. Like, how did they get all these wires in here? Uh, but like, you're. Like your Telecasters, your Strats, your your Les Paul style guitars with a couple humbuckers, those are all going to be super simple.
0: Yeah, it's easy. Yeah, uh, if you're paying somebody to do that, stop. Yeah, stop paying someone um, to do it. Figure
1: it out yourself. If you if you care. If you don't care, then why would you do it? Yeah,
0: and I, you know, there's definitely things where I understand. I guess if you've got like a high end custom custom guitar, like, sure, that you would be nervous about doing it. So at least like. If the shop dings it up, maybe you have some kind of recourse. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there's things that I guess what I would say for my bottom line is at least understand your guitar. Yeah. Be able to at least say like, oh, I've got this like uh, this custom built guitar. It's got pickups XYZ. I it's got this bridge on it, whatever. Learn you know, how to learn at how least to know
1: some simple stuff. Learn how to do the setup on your guitar too. Yeah, like there's if you have a pedal tuner, or even like a tuner on your phone that gets pretty accurate. There's no reason why you need to pay anyone to do the intonation on your guitar. Like right. All it takes is a little screwdriver, or a little Allen wrench, depending on what guitar you have, and you're basically trying to uh, you adjust your saddle pieces so that uh, when your string is in tune open, and then you put, uh, then you fret it on the twelfth fret, it it hits the same note. Yeah, like to the same amount. Like, yeah, you're I- trying to make it in tune on the twelfth fret as it is tuned o- open, and that's all it is to intonate. And you're doing that on all your strings, and it's really not that hard. No, I think the first time I did it, it took me an hour and a half. I can probably do most. Intonations in about 20 minutes to half an hour. And there's
0: nothing wrong with taking it into a shop if that's what you got to do. But you can save so much Uh, money and time. I would at least learn how to do it. Like with the Jazz V, um, I had that thing taken to a shop. I tried to do the setup myself and I just couldn't get it quite the way I wanted to. Sure. At that point, you know, I figured, like, let's hand this off to an expert. But for most things, like for all my other guitars, I've done my own setups with no problem. It's one of those things where it's like, Sometimes you just run into issues that you can't resolve until if you don't have enough experience, Uh and then you know you're basically it's almost like you're going you're just getting a second opinion, but at least you tried to save fifty or sixty bucks.
1: I mean, if you can save yourself uh, an hour and a half of driving to the store and back, you know, four times to drop it off, come back, then go pick it up and come back. Yeah, it's worth spending that hour and a half doing trying to do it yourself at home. Yeah,
0: and if you do it yourself, you know you're going to get your you know you start working on it on a Friday night, you finish on a Friday night, you got a gig on Saturday, you're good to go. Yeah, totally. You take it to a shop, it goes into a queue. If you're lucky, like a week later, you'll have it back.
1: Yeah, and then oh. there's there's truss rod adjustment, and a lot of people are really scared of adjusting the truss rod, which is which makes sense. Uh, I have heard of truss rods breaking because of over adjustment or incorrect adjustment. I've heard too of... much time in the weight room. <laughs> uh, he- here's what I do when I do truss rod adjustments. Basically, you want to be able to fret your guitar at the twelfth fret and then pluck the string on the other side of it, like so to the left, right. of, to the left of your hand, and have the string uh, just be on the edge of where it rings clearly and is just about to rattle on the other frets. Yeah. And that's like the sweet spot for me. Uh, you know, Other people have other preferences, but that's going to give you just enough of a little bit of curve in the neck that you have uh, fast action for the most part, but you still have a little bit of play. This
0: is actually where capo super comes in handy because sure. you can just capo at, like you said, the 12th fret. Yeah. I think when I've seen it, it's usually like the tutorials I've read usually recommending either the seventh or tenth fret. Sure. But whatever point and you just drop your capo on there and there's then personal you're, preference. So. You're free to adjust or yeah. you're free to like have, have two hand you just have two hands free because your capo is, is sure, doing sure. the fretting for you.
1: And when you're when you're turning the uh, the truss rod with your Allen wrench or your screwdriver or whatever your particular guitar takes, you're really only doing about of an eighth of a turn to yeah. a quarter of a turn. Like you're not trying to like, well, let me turn this whole thing a couple times and see what it's like. Yeah, like, it's really it's subtle. M- micro adjustments, you yeah. know. And then you, you turn it, you check where you're at, you turn it, you check where you're at, maybe you turn it back. And then you turn it again and check where you're at. You know, it's it's very subtle. You get yourself in trouble when you start trying to do big adjustments. Yeah,
0: and I think that's where a lot of people like they either they they either are trying to adjust the action by adjusting their trust instead of moving the saddles. Uh huh. Uh, And I think that's where a lot of people get in trouble, or they are just not patient. Sometimes the wood. I've had guys. A lot of guys say like. Wait at least eight hours after a truss rod adjustment. Sure. Do a quarter turn every eight hours just because uh, you're waiting for it, the neck to it takes the neck to, a little time to adjust, especially if you're loosening. Yeah. I think if you're tightening, it doesn't really take as long. But if you're loosening, it may take the wood a little while to kind uh-huh. of stretch out.
1: I mean, it really depends on the guitar, too. Some of my guitars I've never had to do truss adjustment on. Yeah. Other guitars I have, I have to do it twice a year because of weather changes, like the, you know, the humidity or the heat will will affect the neck to the point where I need to sure. tweak it a little bit, you know. Uh, so if you notice that all of a sudden your strings are slapping on your fretboard and you can't raise the bridge high enough, or like all of a sudden the action is crazy high and you're like, what happened? And you can't get it low enough. What happened? Uh, you know, it's probably a truss rod issue. If you know, I understand if you're nervous about that and you want to take it to a shop, but it is something that you can do. Like it doesn't take a ton of training to figure this out. There's tutorials online and whatnot. Yeah.
0: These days, like there's just there's almost too much stuff out there, there these is. days.
1: There is. Like basically don't follow just one tutorial. If there's multiple tutorials out there, like watch two or three of them and then do an average of yeah. of the information. Because one person if, might say something different. If
0: you watch like four tutorials and three of them are saying one thing and one of them are saying another thing, there's probably a reason.
1: Yeah. You know, spend a little time researching, you know. For and sure. don't take our word for it. You know, we're just two guys. Yeah. We're not professional techs. We just no. own guitars and play them.
0: We just wanted to make a podcast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not even making money doing this. How legit could we be? What
0: the heck? (laughs) Maybe you guys should send us some money. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you? Then we could be professional. Yeah.
1: Then we could be professional. Then our opinion would mean more. Yeah. (laughs) Should we? Should we close up this one and get to the song? Yeah. Okay, we've got a song from uh, Joe Schneider today. Joe Schneider. Co Schneider. I. This is my terrible handwriting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So
0: so we talked about this before. We talked about this last podcast. Uh, Coe was in the band Honor Wounds, which your oh, favorite band played okay. with a few times. Yeah. And, um, he actually, uh, when he asked us to talk about that,
1: uh, so Is here's... he the one who volunteered to come be a guest? Yeah. Yeah, okay. We, we yeah. might have him on here in the next couple episodes.
0: Um, but, uh... So uh, Honor Wounds was an East County pop-punk band, from what I remember. Uh Uh-huh. And we played a few youth ventures with them.
1: Yeah, which was like a church, kind of like youth center sort of thing. Yeah, it was
0: like a teen after-school program or something. Yeah, yeah. And I know we played at least like three or four shows with them. But the one I remember was at Youth Venture, the El Cajon one. So there's Santee and El Cajon. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, And we only did El Cajon one time. Was it the Halloween one? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I don't remember why, but I think that was, like, the second or third show we played, like, in a two-week stretch. It was either the second show that week or the third show in, like, a two-week stretch. And all I remember about that show is, I think... But I was going to that show already blistered, <laughs> so I, I played bass. I play especially for your favorite band. Oh, I played nuts. super aggressive bass. Yeah, puts his full body into if it. I didn't. Bl- if so, my uh, my uh, plucking fingers always blistered, and actually that really uh, encouraged me to learn how to play with uh, play well with at least three fingers. Uh-huh. Because during the p- course of a set, like I would have to. I I would start off using two fingers and by the end I would be playing with at least three fingers. Right. Um just to spread it out. But I think that show beforehand, I was already blistered and I was like looking for like a drugstore to like get some kind of like you know, like fake skin or uh-huh. I think that was the first show I played using um super glue to nice. try to like do like a fake skin thing. It didn't really work out that well for me. Um, but that's, for some reason, that's what I remember about that show, but those guys were super cool. Oh, totally. Um,
1: we have like a lot of mutual friends with them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, like I said, they were like East County kids and, um, I'm looking forward to, to hearing the song and I'm really glad we could talk about this. And, yeah. uh, this is a-
1: sometimes I just want to get the band back together. <laughs> this is an instrumental. If I remember right, I picked it out a couple of okay. weeks ago. He sent it to us then. Uh, but uh, I think it was the first one on the list that he sent, and I was like, oh, this sounds good enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's what we're going to play. Uh, and then next episode, we're going to have a song from Luke Mundy. So here's the song. Yep. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah. This has been 60 Cycle Hum, episode 30. Hey. Episode 30. Hey.